Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11. <clears throat> Last week, uh, we're kind of, in, and I want to I give you a warning. I don't know if I should do that. I probably should not do this, but I think I got four more weeks in the book of Daniel, four more weeks. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I was going to get through chapter 11 this week, but it wasn't happening. Uh, but uh, we're going to take two more weeks in chapter 11, and then, Lord willing, we'll be uh, two weeks in chapter 12 for the exciting conclusion of Daniel. Um, let me pray for us and just ask God's blessing on our time. God, thank you uh, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you're a God who works out your plan, uh, that you are never flustered. Uh, you are never uh, at a loss. You are never left powerless. <clears throat> and so we can trust in your plan and we can walk with you and not fight against you. God, uh, I pray today that as we look at this historical passage, this prophetic passage, uh, Lord, that we would uh, gain courage knowing what is going to happen in the end and that uh, this is part of your plan and that you will prevail. God, uh, thank you for your church here in this place. Work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I want to remind you, so last week we looked at really the Persian uh, to the uh, Grecian empires and them going back and forth till uh, Alexander the Great, till the division after uh, Alexander the Great. And uh, these are prophecies. These are prophecies. These aren't things that um, Daniel knew about. These were things that Daniel was told about. And these are things that happened after Daniel, really from the time of Daniel onward. <clears throat> this morning... Uh, we are going to continue and really look at the last real king uh, that has come and his, uh, his exploits, the things that he did. <clears throat> last week, we looked at these two families, or the north and the south, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, um, and really <clears throat> looked at these in terms of them winning and losing and winning and losing. And they are to the north and the south of God's people, Palestine, Jerusalem. And as this is going on, uh, they are uh, warring with one another, and they are uh, at times uh, ransacking Jerusalem, you know, right and left. They're just walking through the God's people, the territory, and um, taking advantage of them, uh, some more than others and some less. Um, and so... We come to this, uh, this king, uh, we are going to look at, uh, starting in Daniel chapter 11, uh, we are going to start in verse 21 today, um, and like I said, I was hoping to get farther, but it's not going to happen. Um, the, last, the last verse we looked at, I just want to highlight this because I thought it was funny from last week. Uh, verse 20, it says, then shall arise in, in his place... Uh, one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days, he is, shall be broken and neither in anger nor in battle. Once again, what, what is verse 20? It is uh, a tax collector, a good tax collector. That's what he is. Um, and so that last king uh, there was a tax collector. And from there, we get the setup for verse 21. Uh, in his place shall arise a contemptible person, a contemptible person. 
Now, uh, when you see this, uh, these, these other kings were kind of uh, setting the course of kind of spiraling and this, that, and the other thing. And these, I want to say it this way, these insignificant kings were setting uh, up this one significant king, significant not in a good way, but in a bad way. As you uh, see this, you, you see this one is identified as a contemptible person. Uh, we've identified this from history as Ant- uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, if you remember back to chapter 8, uh, this is the little horn, uh, the little horn that was uh, a type of the little horn that was to come, the Antichrist himself. He was a Seleucid uh, ruler. He was the eighth one mentioned here as we go back and forth, back and forth. And his attitude and activities typify what is to come. They're a picture of what is to come, this particular uh, king. And what is to come, uh, we'll see in the last part of chapter 11 next week, the Antichrist is to come. And so he's a type of the Antichrist, a foreshadow of the one that is to come. He ruled between uh, 175 and 164 BC. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes, means the magnificent one. He gave this name to himself. Um, I guess when you get to be king, you get to name yourself and you get to take on the title that you want. And so he chose the magnificent one. Sounds like a good idea. Unfortunately, when you're king, people talk trash behind your back, Um, and you can call yourself whatever you want, but they'll call you other things as well, and um, they they referred to him behind his back as Antiochus Epimenes, which meant uh, madman, madman, and so uh, I found that humorous. and I was wondering what they call me behind my back, too. Not that I'm king. Uh, so it says in verse 21, In his place shall rise a contemptible person. A contemptible person. It, 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 this word contemptible is despised and untrusted. Um, and so as he arose to power, he was not one leader that everyone loved. He wasn't a leader that they got excited about following. In fact, quite the opposite. They distrusted him and despised him. It says that uh, in this passage, verse 21, uh, a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given uh, as he was not one to uh, inherit the throne, but he took the throne after the death of his brother. Um, it was through, you know, as many times these things go, his brother uh, passed away. Uh, I believe he was, I think he was murdered, but um, it's hard to keep track of all the people who are assassinated in this, this passage. But um, uh, he took the throne. He, he found that his brother had died, and so he quickly took the throne and exerted authority, even though his brother had two sons, I believe. Um, and he built his kingdom, or he established his kingdom. Uh, it says uh, that he didn't have the royal majesty. It wasn't, uh, had not been given to him. It wasn't his place. Um, but he came without warning and obtained the kingdom by flatteries. Uh, this picture here is he came and he rushed in 
and he attained his kingdom by flattery. He was known to assure his neighbors and other people, his enemies, uh, that uh, he gave them uh, lies and empty promises that would attract them to himself. He was assuring them through things that weren't true. And so he was known, this word flattery is going to come up again. It's the idea that you say whatever you need to say uh, to win a person. And uh, obviously, um, that we, we sometimes think flattery is a good thing, but it's not. If it's, if it's not true, it's not from a heart that's solid uh, with them. Um, it's, it's a dangerous thing. Proverbs says it's a trap. Uh, it's a trap. In verse 22, um, and this is all about this particular man, Antiochus Epiphanes. In verse 22, it says this, that uh, armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even princes and uh, even the prince of the covenant. And from uh, the time that an alliance is made, with him he shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with a, a small people. The, the pictures of armies sweeping away is that armies sweep in and the men go out and that they are turned back. They are turned back and scattered in the same way that they came in. Uh, they start as a group and then they attack and then they are turned away and, and brought back. Uh, this is what it says. And uh, the it says the, the prince of the covenant, another king. Um, we're not sure exactly who that king is, but um, that he, this was caught up in this whole uh, prophecy here. Um, the alliance is made. This is most li- likely an informal one with Egypt. Remember, we're talking about um, Antiochus Epiphanes being from the, uh, from the north, Syria, and uh, in the south, uh, we looked at last week, we saw Cleopatra uh, being part of that kingdom having been given in uh, marriage as a bit of a, a peace offering and um, to gain a covenant. Um, this alliance is made is most likely an informal one with Egypt. Uh, it's not known to be written down, uh, but one, uh, let's, let's be peaceful but it says this, deceitful with the strong and the small. Uh, he had a relatively small army at this time. Um, and uh, in light of this, uh, there was a rise of Rome. And, and when what you need to see here is this. You have Egypt, you have God's people in Palestine, Jerusalem, and then in Syria. But Rome is rising during this time. Rome is, is on the rise. And they'll uh, pop in in a couple of instances in these uh, fights. Verse 24, uh, without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among the plunder, spoils, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. The picture of what Antiochus Epiphanes did is he went to the richest parts of his kingdom, the richest parts of his kingdom, and he took, he took their wealth. Um, most likely, uh, he took it, he asked for it. He explained his plan and he asked for their wealth. And then he took that wealth 
And it says that the picture here is that his fathers weren't able to do this, that he took this wealth and scattered it among uh, those uh, in his land. And and the picture here is this, and this kind of blows my mind and makes me wonder about what our world is like today. Um, He took took these these spoils, this... uh, um, this wealth, if you will, and he took it and he spread it amongst the poor. Uh, he took from the riches of the rich and he took it to the poor and he just gave it to him. He just gave it to him. What do you think that did uh, among the a- attitudes of the poor towards him? They thought he was great. They thought he was great. He won them over uh, by the wealth of his kingdom as he dispersed it to the poor. As you see what he was doing here, he was winning approval for himself. And, and, and know this, that as we look at the picture of this type of the Antichrist that is to come, it is all about him. It is all about him. And I, I would say this, that uh, pretty much every king, it's all about him. It's all about him, the king, and his kingdom as it reflects on him. Uh, and so... What he does here is he takes uh, from the rich and he uh, distributes it to the poor to win, uh, win their favor. It says that uh, he shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And uh, what you get here is this idea, these ideas of conquest in his mind are, he's planning and plotting uh, to extend his kingdom, uh, but only for a time. And, and when you hear this, this, this time idea, uh, it's God's time. And know this, that this is what happens with kings and kingdoms. It's only for a time. It's only as God, it somehow fits into God's plan that a king can do what he's going to do. It's only for a time. A ruler doesn't get uh, to be as strong as he can for as long as he can according to himself. It's for a time. And uh, that's very important for us to remember uh, that man's methods um, are are only as good as they can be uh, and their plans and uh, devices are only a temporary fix for their own ideas. Verse 25, God's word says this, and he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand for plots shall be devised against him. It says that the the king, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, his uh, army is uh, beginning to swell because of the things that he has done. His uh, uh, power, like his desire, is to go against the king of the south with his now great army uh, that he won with uh, the goods of the rich. And then, uh, you know, this is many times how these things go, that the king of the south decides to wage war uh, with his an exceedingly great and mighty army, a, a huge army, uh, but he shall not stand, for pot, plots shall be devised against him. 
The south does not stand. The people turn against him. Uh, Once again, uh, you know, you see a a ruler or rulers have ideas and what happens, their people turn against them. Uh, What a picture of today that how do you keep your armies in line? How do you make sure the people that are uh, with you are truly with you? Uh, Hard to say. Verse 26. Even those who eat his food shall break, uh, shall break him. That's a funny thing. It's the idea of the delicacies of a, a king, the ones who are his best friends, his trusted advisors, they break with him. It says uh, this, that his army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain. Now, the, this uh, very hard to understand, but... Um, Through this battle, even those who eat shall break with him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Many shall die, verse 27. And as for two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. What happens uh, in history is that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, um, he, uh, as they're in this war, um, the, the south is losing, and they capture they capture this king. Um, this captured uh, king is um, one of two brothers. I believe it was Cleopatra's two sons. And the one is um, captured, the one that is in charge is captured. And his name is Ptolemy. He was one of the Ptolemies. And um, you, you look at this and he is befriended by Antiochus Epiphanes and treated as royalty. Um, and the two of them conspire evil together uh, during this time uh, where the one brother is captured, the other brother is exalted into the king, and so uh, so his king is on the his brother is on the other side and being treated as royalty by Antiochus Epiphanes. I know this is a lot uh, we 're just marching through it anyways um, verse twenty eight and he shall return. To his great land, meaning uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he shall return to his his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against uh, the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return uh, to his land. What you're seeing here is this, that he's never quite getting his way. He's never quite getting his way. He went down, uh, he captured the king, but he didn't conquer the land. Uh, The army was too great, and he kind of basically grabbed the king and uh, headed home uh, along with um, much spoils of great wealth. Uh, but it says that his, his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And now we're beginning to rise up what's in the heart of Antiochus Epiphanes. What's in the heart of man? His hatred of God, his hatred of God, his hatred of the worship of God and the hatred of the worship of God's people towards God. And so it's kind of this picture on the way home as they were, um, you know, as they were frustrated, they got, you know, the king, but they got great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. Um, this idea that God had a relationship with his people, that they were worshipers of him, that he was the creator and we are the creation. Um, 
but what does it say? And he shall work his will and return to his own land. Um, what you see is as he goes through Palestine and Jerusalem, uh, he ha- hating the Jews and uh, uh, having not conquered Egypt in frustration, he puts down a rebellion of godly people on his way home. And, you know, once again, that is a... Um, that is a territory of war, okay? They just start trampling over God's people uh, right and left as they go back home to uh, the area of Syria. Verse 29. Uh, At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not uh, be this time as it was before. Uh, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, uh, and take in, uh, action against the the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. He comes again. He comes again to the south, and he says, "I'm going to go finish what I started." This is a couple of years later. Uh, he comes and he, he, he's going to get the territory and the people that he has desired to conquer. Uh, but uh, this is a different thing. Um, it says in verse 30, for ships of Kittim shall come against him. And what happens is in Rome, uh, the south asks for help from Rome. Rome sends it through some ships coming down south on the Mediterranean Sea um, and they come and they turn around uh, Antiochus Epiphanes' armies. They turn them around and send them home. Actually, it's not just that they turn them around. Uh, they kind of encircle them. And uh, the Antiochus Epiphanes and the armies are fearful for their lives because they know they're going to die. They know they're going to die. In fact... Uh, the the ruler or um, the leader of the ships of Kittim, uh, it said in history that he uh, said to Antiochus Epiphanes, you must go home in peace, you must make peace. And he says, well, give me time to think about it. And uh, he, legend says that he drew a circle with his sword around him and said, yeah, you decide before you leave this circle what you're going to do. And uh, he was shamed. He was shamed. He was, uh, he, he was frustrated, and he was um, brought humble before everyone. Everyone knew what had gone on. And so uh, he agreed. He agreed. He withdrew. Uh, but it enraged him, and in his mind, once again, it, it grows. Uh, he was enraged, and he desired to take action against the holy covenant, the holy covenant, the holy promise, this relationship with God and his people. And he, uh, he, it says that he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. So he's frustrated in defeat, and as he goes through uh, Palestine, he's looking for the ungodly. He's looking for them. He's looking for God's people who are not God's people. He is looking for those who 
are supposed to worship but are not worshiping. He looks for them. Uh, and as he looks for them, the high priest uh, at this time, Menelaus, uh, is not a good high priest and is one that he begins conversation and relationship with that will come to fruition in the next verses. In verse 31, and this, this is how this comes together, and this is really the focal point of this whole section. Verse 31 says this, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate uh, the covenant, uh, but with the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I know that it's hard for us to get our head around this, and we've talked about it quite a few times in the book of Daniel, is this this event, the abomination of desolation. As we look to the future, it's this event that really signals the time of the end. It's the one uh, graphic, solid point uh, that goes to it. And Daniel comes back to this over and over again. And I would say it this way, God comes back to it over and over again. Daniel is just the recipient of this. But the picture of this in uh, Antiochus Epiphany's life is he is picturing this event. Verse 31, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. The idea of the temple and the fortress, fortress probably not meaning uh, like uh, a protected area or a wall or anything, but the picture is the spiritual strength of God's people, their worship in the temple. Anyways, the, the, what happens is this. Um, they appear and they profane the temple. Uh, the, the temple is polluted, uh, polluted. We, we know from history that Antiochus Epiphanes in, in purposed uh, wrecking or violating the temple, he takes a pig into the temple uh, that was unclean, uh, decided by God, and he makes mockery of the sacrifice in the temple. And, and as he does this, uh, we know from history that he takes the broth from this pig and he, he, he sprinkles it and sprays it around the temple, further defiling the temple, repulsing uh, God's people. He does this throughout the temple. And, uh, and along with that, he takes a... a, a a statue or a, a, a monument, if you will, to Jupiter, Zeus, the, the, the Greek gods, and, and places it in the middle of the temple. The picture being, this is what you will uh, worship now. This is what it is to worship, what man has made. He declares... Uh, to God's people, he says, it is illegal to participate in the mosaic ceremonies that you have participated in in the worship of your God. And not just that, there are identified people who are killed 
because of their following after God, their worship of him. What a picture. And you can imagine uh, for God's people who have been you know, wrecked for years, right? They've been in captivity, but then beyond that, they've uh, been a territory that has been poor, that has been um, taken advantage of. Uh, they have been pinned between the north and the south, and uh, they have been trampled on over and over again. And now uh, their temple has been uh, violated. It's been blasphemed. Uh, it's been made desolate. You need to see that as the, the critical sin and the major fail and the, the bringing down, and really n- not just that, but the heart of Antiochus Epiphanes. This is who he is, a desire to make man-made idols, man-made idols uh, to glorify himself, to glorify himself. The, he puts the idol of Zeus, but in his heart, he desires the worship and the notoriety for himself. And really the frustration that brought him to this uh, is what drove him because he was shamed. This uh, last line uh, of verse 32 is fascinating and important for us to get. It says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. It is fascinating to me, and it catches you if you're if you're just reading the back and forth between the north and the south, the north and the south, and now you get to this one uh, king that's more wicked than the others in the north, and you're he's doing these awful things in north, and in the midst of this, it says there's a people who know their God and shall stand firm and take action. I want to be a part of those people. I want to be in, in, in our time and our place and today and in the days ahead. I want to be a, a people that know their God and, you know, they stand firm and take action. They're, they're about doing what God wants them to do in their time and in their place. Who are these people? These are the Maccabees. Um, we read about them and uh, their success in history of, and, and I say success, it wasn't grand success, it was just success. And what do we know about them? The only thing we know about them in scripture is this, that they knew their God, they knew their God. They knew their God and then they proceeded out of that knowledge of God to live in their time and their day. I want to encourage, I want to stop. I want to stop and say that's what we need to be doing today. Know your God. Know your God. Seek him. Get to know him. Read the scripture. How is he described? Try to understand the nuances of how he acts in his heart towards his people. Pray to him. Talk to him. Walk with him. Get so comfortable with your God. And then out of that, out of that, live. Out of that, live. Some of us have some big decisions to make about what to do and what not to do. That should come out of your knowledge of God. That should come out of your relationship with him. 
It shouldn't come out of your background or your upbringing or your political party or your, your own brain. Do not trust your own brain. It's led you astray before. But out of your relationship with God, out of knowing the God who loves you so much, make decisions based on that. Stand firm and take action. I like those two. It's funny in the New Testament quite a few times. uh, Paul uses this idea of standing firm, standing firm. And uh, as God writes through Daniel, uh, the picture here is standing firm and taking action, right? And doing what we think the Lord wants us to do. Um, As we uh, see in verse 33... This was the Maccabees, and it says, and the, wise, uh, and the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and the flame, by captivity and plunder. As, as I mentioned before, the Maccabees stood up, and they went against and eventually even uh, cleansed the temple, cleansed the temple, uh, took it over again. But it was with, uh, it wasn't without um, it, it wasn't it was success uh, they were successful uh, in winning the people over but they would not fight on the Sabbath and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes knew that and so some of some of the attacks were on the Sabbath so that they would die and weren't be ready and. Uh, uh, that was part of their downfall. Not not a bad thing, but they did take um, uh, losses in battle. Verse 34, when they stumble, uh, they shall receive a little help and and many shall join them, uh, join themselves to them with flattery. Um, we looked at that word before, but we'll come back to it now. And and some of the wise shall stumble, so they uh, shall be refined and purified and made white until the, the time of the end, for it, uh, for it still awaits the appointed time. <clears throat> what you see in history is they stumbled, they, they were not winning, they were struggling, and they received help. Uh, it wasn't help, uh, some suggest it might have been the Romans again, but it were, were people who are watching this righteous movement, uh, righteous, the Maccabean revolt. They were watching it, and they were saying, they're on the right side. Uh, we should go help them. But it wasn't uh, the idea that they were totally committed. This idea of flattery, once again, is just a, a temporary kind of, hey, we'll be nice to you for a minute. We'll help you, but if times get tough, we're out. Um, this was this um, half-hearted uh, help that they received, but received enough that they would be successful. Uh, the Maccabean Revolt is celebrated today by the Jews as the Festival of Lights, the culmination of Hanukkah, December 25th, celebrating um, the cleansing of the temple once again in 164 B.C., And so maybe that's a point for us to remember. This is a picture, the Maccabean revolt, them finally cleansing the temple again, and the Jews celebrate that today at Hanukkah. I I want you to hear this, and and throughout this passage, you're hearing 
Um, this idea of the will of the kings, the kings doing their will, uh, but also this idea of time, appointed time. And uh, this verse 35 ends, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. What is that? Uh, What time is it? You know, um, most of you have a watch or a phone you look at and you're, you're time conscious. And when things are bad, you want to know what time it is. You want to know I, if you can't sleep at night. Uh, have you ever done this? You're, you're flopping around in your bed and you're like, you don't know what time it is. And you're like, oh, I hope it's almost time to get up. Like, I just can't, I just can't sleep. But it's got to be close, and you roll over, and it's 1.30 in the morning. And you go, oh, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Uh, you, you think about if you're, if you're in pain, you know, the pain of school, and you, you know, well, when's the last day of school? When's it going to be over? You, you have these things in your mind. When's the appointed time? When's the appointed time? I want to tell you that when you look at time in, in this section, uh, most of it re- regards to the time, the watch of God. He doesn't have a watch, but he has his own time. And man thinks, uh, my kingdom will go on forever. And God looks at his watch and says, you don't have much time left. I'll, I'll decide how long this goes. And so we see this, this time ending, this appointed time, God's appointed time. Well, uh, I know that was a lot, uh, a lot of details, um, kind of back and forth, and uh, I'm going to try to make sense of this in our conclusion this morning. I will tell you this, that from verse 36 on to verse 45, I believe, is now speaking of the Antichrist that is to come. And what we have just looked at has some resemblance, some physical resemblance of Antichrist in history. Uh, As I shared with you when we went over uh, Daniel chapter 8, I think I made the comment that most believe Antiochus Epiphanes is kind of the uh, Old Testament Antichrist. Uh, And he's really not in the Old Testament other than in prophecy. It's after the Old Testament uh, as we look at this. I, I want to I share with you just three things as we conclude, and, and hopefully this will help make sense of what we've just gone through. Um, we, we've talked about, in the New Testament, John gives us this picture of the spirit of Antichrist, uh, Antichrist, um, small a Antichrist, right? And then uh, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And just kind of concluding our time, so what do we do? So this one man came, he was a wicked king, he did his own thing, he worshipped himself. What should we do? You know, how does this relate to us today? And my my thoughts to you and to, to myself as well is what I've shared with you before, that we are to reject the spirit of Antichrist now, now. Whatever's going on in our world today and whatever we see, whether it be 
uh, on our computers or in our neighbors, in our culture, in our town, in our state, in our nation, in the nations. When we see the spirit of Antichrist now, what should we do? We should reject it. We should not go along with it. Everywhere we see it. Well, what is the spirit of Antichrist? Think about it. What was Antiochus Epiphanes? What was he trying to do? He was trying to control people. Interestingly enough, how did he try to control them? It says, he uses the word flattery, which I'm not sure is the greatest uh, translation, but it gives this picture of manipulating with the use of words. What did he do? Took a bunch of money and stuff, and he started throwing it out to people and says, hey, poor people, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Please do not try to connect this too much to today, okay? <laughs> Please do not, okay? Just know, but so, um, l- let me say this, let me say this. Um, be careful, be careful. Uh, just the way you treat people, the way you treat people. Um, if your desire is to control people and to manipulate them through flattery or money to get them to do what you want them to do and you don't care about them, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Think about that. I, I realize that might feel shocking to you and you say, well, I've done that for years. It's my method. It's, you know, the way business runs, right? I want to tell you it shouldn't be, not for the life of the believer. The believer uh, cares about people. They don't try to control people. They don't try to manipulate them and say things that would uh, manipulate them to feeling like you really care about them when you don't, when you don't. Antiochus Epiphanes was controlling. He was angry. He was angry. He was vindictive, right? He, he wanted to make them pay. And sometimes he, he just was mad and he was looking for someone and he found God's people. I want to tell you that's the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, I want to say this, that God's people will always be a target of this. Will always. And the idea that it's okay or to be expected um, is to be rejected. It's to be identified as the spirit of Antichrist. And anyone who chooses uh, to use these methods is an Antichrist. I've been, um, I shared with you earlier about Afghanistan and uh, some of the things that are going on there. And I, I don't have an inside track. I don't know anybody in Af- Afghanistan. They're not calling me. or, um, But it seems that wickedness has just overtaken the, the country. And wicked things are probably happening even as we speak. I also uh, see things in Australia uh, in regards to the COVID lockdowns and the vaccines where uh, kids are being rounded up and given vaccines apart from their approval of their parents and separation of families. Um, That's not wicked. If that's not the spirit of Antichrist, um, we don't understand the scriptures. 
I want to tell you the idea of controlling and especially controlling uh, those who are at risk or those who are um, without uh, um, the the children thing. Uh, I think of those who are um, exposed to reject the spirit of Antichrist now. Uh, we should not go along with those who are controlling and angry and vindictive and against Christ. The second thing I, I want to point out, and I think it's very important, and it's uh, much more uh, common than we would like to admit. At the heart of Antiochus Epiphanes, at the heart of Antichrist, at the heart of the spirit of Antichrist, which is in the world now and is exhibited uh, by many people at m- in many different times, is the worship of man. The worship of man. It's at the heart of, of this. And, and it is the idolatry that drives uh, wickedness in our world. The worship of man. And, and you say, well, how do you connect this all? Well, real simply, what was supposed to be happening in the temple? Well, worship of God. It, it was very simple. It, it was the temple was a physical example and a reminder, and a place, and a time, and a way to worship God. It was at the center of, and I want to say this, it's truly at the center of all that's going to happen in the end times, the worship of God. So why was this event such a big deal? Because it took aim at the worship of God to replace it with man-made religion. And for what? For what? So Antiochus Epiphanes could be the one to be thought of as great. Why did he do what he did? It was because he was worshiping himself. He was worshiping uh, this idea. I was, I'm doing what I want. The, the picture here throughout this is these kings, what do they do? And they did as they will, right? They did what they wanted, they did as they will in the land. They, they, did, they went, and, and when they were powerful, they did whatever they wanted. Why? Because they were king. And this desire to be king or this desire to be queen, or this desire to be the focal point is in us. It's the worship of man. And, and I, I just want to point out to us that we so easily, and with a cheering crowd around us, can slip into the worship of self as well. Why do you do what you do? Why do you not do other things? Well, I don't want to. I'm my own man. I'm a big boy now. I'm in charge. I won't eat that. Won't go there. Won't stay up that late. I won't get up that early. I won't let them talk to me like that. I won't give in that way. I won't. Why? Because of me. I want to tell you that's the worship of man. It's at the heart. It's at the heart of the spirit of Antichrist. It was at the heart of Antiochus Epiphanes. If we're not careful, it'll be at the center of our heart as well. Be the way we live. Lastly, um, as... So we're marching through history. We've gone through these kings and kingdoms, and 
uh, we see this, this one particular king who does this one awful thing uh, that marks history. And, you know, we're going to go on to Antichrist. And you, you look at this, and I hope that you see that these, uh, this prophecy so long ago, uh, though the words we may struggle with, but the heart of what's going on is what's going on today. And even as I see our world, um, I don't know what's going on in our world. I just see crazy things everywhere. And I see more crazy things each day. And it doesn't make sense. As much as I try to make sense of it, it doesn't make sense. I'm a math guy. Not a, not a high math, just regular math, like seventh grade. Uh, you know? And, and I'm always trying to see how it adds up. I'm trying, I'm trying and it doesn't add up. It, it just doesn't. And, and you try to say, well, do the numbers add up? I don't know. Where'd you get the numbers? You know, because it matters where you got the numbers. And who got the numbers? And who's counting the numbers? And who's reporting the numbers? And so how do we make sense and what do we do when all these events seem to be getting crazier and more out of control and closer to home, I would even say? Closer to home? You know, we thought the Kern County was protected area. We were a sanctuary city from craziness, uh, sanctuary county. Uh, we're not. And so what do we do as God's people? What, how, how, do we, how do we keep going? How, what, what is our, our steps that we take today? What, what should we be doing? I believe they're found in Hebrews chapter 10. It's one of my favorite passages. I've come back to it. Uh, I've already shared this with you in our study of the book of Hebrews, but it was a while ago, so I figure you forgot. Hebrews chapter 10, um, uh, uh, just such a rich passage of, uh, of what, um, you know, the, the relationship we have with God, what he does for us, how he, uh, what he's done for us and uh, laying down his son and giving us that which we could not have or could not attain and a call for us to hold fast to that and to not give it up knowing that uh, he will be faithful. And then in verse 24, it says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What you get there is this, you know, a couple of simple things. Spur one another on, encourage one another. Gather together, meet together, be together. Um, we do not take attendance here at Bear Valley Church. Maybe we should. Um, I will not um, most likely know if you miss a week. Uh, the church is kind of coming and going. Uh, sometimes in staff meeting on Tuesday, which is a bad idea because it's Tuesday. That's two days later than we met. Say, hey, did you see so-and-so at church? And we kind of kick it around. Oh, no, I talked to them last week. I know they were out here and they're doing their. Um, uh, we don't take attendance. We don't take attendance. But this isn't about attendance. This isn't about attendance. This is about 
the drive in us, knowing that the day is drawing near, the thirst in our own hearts, knowing that we need to meet with God's people. We need it. And, and there's a sense where as we were children and we came to faith, or many years ago when we came to faith, we thought to ourselves, man, I, I, I need to go to church. I need to be with God's people. I need to be encouraged by them because I don't know what I'm doing. And so you think you needed it at that time and you, you just thirsted for it. And you, you said, I can't get enough. And, and so now later you're older and you know a lot and you think you know a lot and um, you might know a lot, but you might not know a lot. But anyways, you, you get to this place, you go, yeah, I, you know, I can take a vacation from God's people. I, you know, I don't need it as much. I'm kind of beyond that. I want to tell you, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. Because the scripture tells us we need it more as the day draws near. More. And I want to tell you, you need it more, but we need it more. We need it more. And what I mean by that is that your active participation in the fellowship and the spurring on of encouragement to one another is more needed today than it was last week because the day is drawing near. God, thank you for this morning. Um, God, we ask that you continue to help us understand uh, all that's going on in this passage and that we would prepare uh, for the end, that we would not... uh, be ones who would be fearful of the end, but rejoice at your plan, knowing that you will bring this to an end. God, if we are weary, I ask that you would give us encouragement for the day that you would cause us to be energized, knowing that uh, you're still in control today and you're still working out your plan and you still have a plan and you will bring it to fruition. God, help us to thirst for you to walk with you, that we would be people like the Maccabees who were people who stood firm and they acted in their day and their time, walked with you. God, thank you for your church. I bless this church in Jesus' name, amen.